Today on Abounding Grace from Ed Taylor. If things are okay and they're going the way that you desire them and the way that you want them and you you seem to have this life of smooth sailing, then man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, that's, hey man, if things are happening the way I want them, then those phrases and those thoughts and those feelings seem to be much easier to express. But when things don't go our way, when things are bad, then so quickly we begin to think that God is mean, that he's forgotten us, that he's vindictive, that he doesn't love us, that he could care less about his creation. And it's not true. The only thing that's changed are the circumstances. This is amazing grace. Someone has wisely put it, no matter how long you nurse a grudge, it won't get better. Today on Abounding Grace, we take you to Ruth chapter 1 and recall a very difficult season in Naomi's life. In her pain and grief, she was angry and blaming God. She was bitter. And maybe that's where you're at today. Pastor Ed Taylor will show us how to move from bitterness to betterness as we return to his series, Help for the Troubled Heart. Please take your Bibles and open them to the book of Ruth, chapter 1. Ruth, chapter 1. If you're looking for Ruth, it's right after Judges, and Judges is right after Joshua. So it's going to be toward the left side of your Bible, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, in a Bible study that I've entitled, From Bitterness to Betterness. Because the, Ruth, the book of Ruth is a love story unfolding through the lives of real ordinary people. It's a story of God's providence, how God sovereignly takes the events of our lives and weaves them together for His will. Where we live, who we marry, where we travel. He takes the tragedies and the successes. He takes the hopelessness and infuses hope. And we open up in verse 1 of the book of Ruth, Chapter 1, now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. A real literal famine has hit the land of Judah, specifically the area of Bethlehem where this man and his family lives. We learn in verse 2 that his name was Elimelech. Elimelech living in Bethlehem, dealing with the reality of a true famine, a scarcity of food that would lead to starvation and certain death. As the famine hits the land of Bethlehem, he takes his family to the Gentile, God-hating land of Moab. And he's seeking to avoid troubling times. He chooses not to endure the trial in Bethlehem of famine, But instead, in disobedience, I believe, he runs away to Moab, taking things into his own hands. And while this family doesn't know it yet, this is a really bad decision. 
because in a short amount of time, ultimately things would get worse for them in Moab, not better, and this precious family would be hurt deeply by three separate deaths. It was Warren Wiersbe that wrote, and I quote, because God gave us freedom of choice, we can ignore the will of God, we can argue with the will of God, we can disobey the will of God, and even fight against it, but in the end, the will of God shall prevail, end quote. Just like the Bible says in Psalm 33, verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of, of his heart to all generations. In Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, it speaks of God doing according to his will. Now, while Elimelech in Bethlehem is facing a literal famine, by illustration, you and I face a lot of spiritual famines. Most likely, we won't experience the scarcity of food in our own country. Perhaps, but probably not. But more often, we experience a famine spiritually. A lack of nourishment could be by our own doing or by the circumstances of life. And when we face troubling times, we are always left with a choice. And it's more than just two choices. Sometimes three, sometimes four, but trials and difficulties, troubles and hardships always leave us a choice to make. We can face them, but facing them also often leads us to taking things in our own hands. You know, we'll face it, but then we'll take it and try to solve it ourselves. Sometimes we can avoid it and try to run away, as Elimelech does here. Famine has come, we'll go to where there's food, not considering the consequences that may await him. Or thirdly, we can embrace the trials of life and trust Jesus through them, allowing him to be our strength and our wisdom. Much like we learned in the life of Joseph at the end of his life, what did he say to his brothers as he looked them in the eye? In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he says to them, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. We can trust God through the difficulties and endure them in obedience, receiving the comfort and the encouragement that God has for us instead of attempting to run away. Well, notice verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. Now, if you write, like to write in your Bibles, I'm going to give you the meanings of some of these names. So the name Elimelech literally means, my God is king. So Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi. Her name means pleasant or delightful. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. Malon means sickly, and Chilion means tiny. And they were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. Orpah, her name means gazelle, and Ruth literally means friendship. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband." 
So a famine comes, a lack of bread, a lack of food comes to the city of Bethlehem, which literally means house of bread. And Elimelech, who has God as his king, takes his wife, known as Pleasant, and runs away from the trial in Bethlehem to Moab. And it's there in Moab that Elimelech dies. And within a span of 10 years, Naomi loses her husband and both of her sons. You see, God, he has for us the names of the people whose lives are affected by this tragedy. Because you wonder, why cover the names and why cover the meanings of the names? Well, I want you to be reminded that this is not a fictional story that was made up in the minds of men and put into a book and called the Bible. These are real men and women with real lives and real tragedy and real decisions and real consequences to those decisions. You know, parents would often name their children one of two ways in the Old Testament. They would name them either by the circumstances surrounding their births or by their hopes and dreams for them. And we see the names of this, of this family, we see the names of the people of this family come to pass in a very real way. And over these 10 years, Naomi is in a bad place, in a very difficult place. As it's described in verse 5, she survived her two sons and her husband. And it feels that way, doesn't it? It feels that way sometimes when trials come your way, where you're just surviving. And we understand what the meaning of the text is. Uh, when a spouse survives those that pass away, that's the word that you use. But in a very real way, going through difficulties in life has a sense of survival to it. Just making it through another moment. Making it through another day. We read these five verses within the span of a few seconds. You know, a minute or so. But these five verses represent ten years of her life. Ten years in a land that she didn't belong. Ten years away from the house of bread. Ten years of, well, first losing her husband and then losing her two sons. And so this family has suffered much. And notice in verse 6, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. The famine is over, and now it's time to return. And while she lost her husband and two sons, she gained a couple of daughters-in-law. Notice verse 7. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. Jehovah, the Lord, deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. Verse 9, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. It's been a hard ten years for her. And she gets word now that famine is over, and she wants to go home. No doubt she's tired and lonely. She is hurting, and she just wants to go home. Naturally, Orpah and Ruth want to go with her, to help her, to encourage her, to love her. And may you be blessed with daughters-in-law like these two. 
May you be blessed, if you haven't already, with a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law that will love you. And as we'll learn with Ruth, cling to you, to serve you and love you and encourage you through the good times and through the bad. If you happen to have a daughter-in-law or a son-in-law like that, blessed are you among many here today. Naomi wants them to go on with their lives. She doesn't want them to come with her. And she wishes and she blesses them and says, I hope Jehovah Yahweh deals kindly with you. I hope that you'll finally find the rest that you're looking at each in the house of your husband. You see, not only is Naomi overcome with grief here, but she's not really speaking like a spiritual woman. These 10 years has taken a toll on her spiritual life. As anyone that's endured a trial for 10 years can share. It has a way of wearing you down and she's not speaking like a spiritual woman. I don't want you to miss this. By telling these daughters-in-law to stay back, she is not making the right decision. She's making a wrong decision. It was definitely the right thing for her to go back home, for Naomi to return home to that place of God's blessing. But it was also the right thing for her to take with her the girls that married her husband, or married her sons, so that they too might be blessed by the one true God, to be delivered from their idolatry. She's not speaking as a spiritual woman, and she's not making godly decisions. Might I just add that in the midst of great pain and difficulty, when there is a heightened emotion in your life, that is not the time to make big life decisions. You need to wait and let things calm down a little bit before you make big life-changing decisions. This would be a big life-changing decision. I don't want you to come with me. Stay here. In times of heightened emotion, be careful not to make decisions, well, that aren't led by the Spirit, but are led by emotion and by your feelings. Why wouldn't she want two unbelieving pagan women to come to Bethlehem and be introduced or participate in the worship of the one true living God. Now the text doesn't tell us, but perhaps in the context of the big picture, she doesn't want, Naomi doesn't want to see the proof daily of her move to Moab, the loss of her children, the loss of her husband, and how Elimelech led them to a place of great difficulty outside the covenant of Israel. Maybe she doesn't want to deal with the reality of sin in her life. Like the Proverbs say, in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13, it says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. We know for sure, as we'll continue on in the text, that bitterness has taken root in her heart. One of the hardest things to do to someone going through a trial and going through a difficulty is to tell them a hard thing about sin in their lives. It's hard to receive, and it's even harder to share. To come alongside and begin to walk someone along the path of how they have allowed bitterness to take root in their hearts. How they've gone from pleasure to bitter instead of bitter to better. And yet this is being revealed in Naomi's life that in the midst of her sorrow and grief, she's allowed bitterness to take root and not brokenness. 
the best thing for Naomi to do at this time is to repent and to humble herself before the mighty hand of God, not to cover things, not to avoid things. It's never a good idea to try and cover our sins or even worse, think that we can run away from them because we can't. When we try to cover our sin, it's proof that we really haven't experienced that conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's proof that we really haven't experience godly sorrow as it relates to our connection with God. And here Naomi is just really taking things and doing things the way she wants them done. No mention of prayer or seeking God. Notice verse 10. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb? that they may be your husbands. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and you should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi's not speaking as a spiritual woman here and actually is stuck within the circle of herself. She's stuck. Notice that she's relying upon her own resources. She's looking at herself and saying, look, don't come with me. I I don't plan on getting married again. I don't plan on having children again. And even if I had children, would you wait for them all these years so that you could marry them and have a life? Just, Just go. I cannot do anything for you anymore. And she limits herself, which is often, which is often what happens in times of difficulty. She limits herself to her own abilities, not remembering that God is limitless and could do far more than her mind could even conceive. And she's stuck in sorrow and grief. And she's stuck with this root of bitterness. Notice it gets so bad that it says, she tells them in verse 13 that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's blaming God for the circumstances in her life. Those that study grief tell us that one of the stages of grief is blame. Combined with another stage, anger. And that's where we find Naomi. She's mad. She's upset. And she's blaming God. It's true, isn't it? It's easy to let circumstances change our view of God. I mean, think of it this way. If things are okay and they're going the way that you desire them, and the way that you want them, and you you seem to have this life of smooth sailing, then man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. You know, that's, amen, if things are happening the way I want them, then those phrases and those thoughts and those feelings seem to be much easier to express. But when things don't go our way, when things are bad, then so quickly we begin to think that God is mean, that he's forgotten us, that he's vindictive, that he doesn't love us, that he could care less about his creation. And it's not true. The only thing that's changed are the circumstances. You see, no matter whether good or bad is happening in your life and mine today, the Bible describes God as ready to pardon, 
gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and does not forsake them. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. The Bible declares God in Psalm 103, verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Can I get an amen for that? He has not dealt with you and me according to our sins. Because if he did, we'd be wiped out. There should be no speaking of us what we deserve. We don't want what we deserve. I'm so grateful I didn't get what I deserve. But rather, God has extended grace. Not only that, it says, he hasn't punished us according to our iniquities. But instead, the very wrath of God the pain and penalty of her sin was poured out upon his son Jesus Christ as he hung on a Roman cross, dying a torturously long, painful death for you and for me. Circumstances so easily change our view of God. And Naomi, when she looks at her life in verse 13, she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. She's so caught up in her bitterness and not brokenness that she implies that God, God is against her. Bitterness is a nasty thing. It starts so small. The genesis of bitterness or the beginning of bitterness is an offense. It's an offense. We've been offended by someone or we've been offended by something. And with that offense... We have an opportunity to deal with it biblically and spiritually or to not deal with it at all. And, and that offense, you know, bitterness is like a little twig. An offense is like a little twig. It gets planted in your life and, and it's alive. And you know what happened to things that are alive? They grow. And as you go through life, this offense and that offense and a lack of forgiveness, what will happen is not only do you become unforgiving, but then you become resentful. The feeling of resentment, whether it's toward God or toward someone else. And then resentment grows and left unchecked becomes bitterness. And let me tell you something, friends. Bitterness grows just as wide as it does deep. Bitterness is what Naomi's dealing with here. She's distant from God. She's giving bad counsel. She's isolating herself. She just wants to go home not really caring much about these girls. Orpah, it says that she kissed her mother-in-law and we never hear from her again. But Ruth, the Bible says, her name meaning friendship, clings for life to Naomi. Verse 15, it says, and Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. That's her counsel. Go back and worship the false gods. That's where Naomi is. Just go back and worship false gods. God's against me. There's nothing for me. Don't wait for me. I can't help you. Go back and worship your gods, which is what bitterness will do. It'll make you sound like an unbeliever and act like an unbeliever. Yes, Naomi was bitter and not at a good place at this point. But I'm happy to say she'd go from bitterness to betterness. We'll hear the rest of the story next time on Abounding Grace with Ed Taylor. All of this is part of Pastor Ed's series, Help for the Troubled Heart. 
Request a CD copy of the message or the entire series when you give us a call at 877-30-GRACE. We've also put this entire series, Help for the Troubled Heart, onto a USB thumb drive, making it super easy to load onto your computer, listen to in your car, or give to that person in your life that is hurting and could use the encouragement. We'll gladly send the series on the thumb drive for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Just call 877-30-GRACE and we can take your request for this special offer. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. As we're learning through our present series, God has the help we need when our heart is troubled and we're discouraged. And at helpforthetroubledheart.com, you'll find resources that will encourage your faith and lift your spirit. Again, drop by helpforthetroubledheart.com today. We'd also like to pray for you and whatever situation you find yourself in today. We'd be honored to go to the Lord on your behalf. So email your prayer requests to prayer at calvaryaurora.org. And we have a couple of apps we'd like to recommend that are free and available on all platforms. Search for Calvary Aurora and the Grace FM Colorado apps. Don't miss our next study when we'll bring you more help for the troubled heart. That's right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Aurora, 